and welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. Um, this week is a slow news week again, so we're going to start with what we're now calling This Week in Headphones, which is what we've listened to this week. Um, and I'll start off. Um, I've been mostly listening to a lot of um, older stuff, actually, compilations. Not necessarily old, but older. I did a song shot on the website for Rammstein's newest single, Mindland, which is from their greatest hits. So I'm, um, since I have all their records, I made my own greatest hits on my CD burner. A lot easier than buying the, 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 the record. So Ramstein's old stuff, or just old stuff in general? Well, Ramstein's old stuff started it. I was listening to a lot of their older stuff through the greatest hits, and then it, it made me want to listen to some other compilations. So I was listening to, in my car, I have Collective Souls compilation, and I have Queen's compilation. So I kind of jumped around. <gasps> compilation week. Huh? No. Huh? We've come up with like about ten different ideas for weeks. I don't we'll like probably comp- do many, many. I don't like compilation. And it would have to be months, mind you, Steve, well, you because we do one to... podcast a week. True. Yes. But 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 anyway. Indeed. Um, so I've quite. We'll do it. <laughs> We're doing it. So I've been listening to mostly compilations. compilations. I've been listening to Queen, actually some Queen songs that I hadn't really listened to a lot, like Radio Gaga and I Want It All. I don't know as well as obviously some of the other singles, so I've been listening to those songs more to get better acquainted with them. I actually quite love Radio Gaga. It's really a really good song, and I had never really heard it before. Hmm, never heard. Yeah, it's a good song. I would I would recommend that you you check it out. It, it was on one of their later greatest hits, like Volume Three or whatever. It was towards the end of their career. That song it came out around the same time as One Vision and The Show Must Go On. I think it was on the same record as those, but I could be wrong. Hey, Steve. Yeah. What were you listening to this week? Jeff Buckley. Who? Jeff Buckley. Who? Jeff Buckley. I don't know who that is. Oh, boy. I go back to the 90s. This is actually from your era, by the way, John, Matt. The oh, 90s. Not... My era. Jeez. Active 91 to 97, approximately, okay. because he died very, very tragically by drowning. Um, That's so, unfortunate. Yeah, I'll just put that out there. In any case, what he did during his years was pretty fantastic. I mm-hmm. consider him to be one of the best vocalists of the era, maybe of all time. Okay. He has a fantastic range. We're talking in so, sort of folk alternative styles, okay. but he he went back and he looked at people like like Bartok and uh, oh, oh who else? I think he even looked at Ravel. You know, some impressionist music from like the early twentieth century, and he borrowed a lot of those stylings and those that that the musical theory involved there and infused it into his into his music, which eventually uh, was. Marginally popular. His biggest uh, single from the era is Grace, which I am obsessed with. I'm so, sure I've heard it. Check it out. Um, so he was a solo artist. He wasn't in a band. Uh, he had a band backing but, him. But I'm but saying yes. he was released as a solo artist. Exactly. Oh, okay. Released as Jeff Buckley and his works. Oh, okay. yeah. I'll have to check that out. John, what, what have you been listening to this week? I've been listening to a variety of things, a plethora of things. Um... None first of off, have names. <laughs> no. First off, ironically, I didn't listen to the new Flowbots album. Well, I listened to the first like four tracks, and then I realized I kind of want to listen to it with these guys, and we're reviewing that today. But the other stuff I uh, I heard this week, uh, I, I was doing a lot of off uh, Offspring in mm-hmm. preparation for the album review, which is up now. Uh, I really wanted to listen to their old stuff, so I could better compare it to the new stuff. Um, I also was on a kick with Green Day this week. Older or newer? Uh, I put them on shuffle. Okay, so it was just a little of everything. Yeah. Uh, and I found myself skipping some of the older stuff. I really wanted to hear... I should have just put on them. 21st Century and American Idiot and tried to get the feel of that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I'll listen to some of Green Day's old, uh, newer works, but older of the newer era, so like Warning and, and American Idiot, and forget that there are certain songs on those records, and then when I get to them, I go, Oh, I love this song. This was on that album because I get so wrapped up in the single sometimes, especially since I have their greatest hits in my car, because I keep a lot of greatest hits in my car, that you forget about some of the album tracks that are just really good. And I find that happens with a lot of different artists, actually. Yeah, it does. Oh, I also forgot. I'm coming back to me for one second. Yes. I've been listening to Yes. Really? Yes. This is funny. Why? It's Prague. I, I am I very like attracted yes. to Prague. Granted, not every single Yes song out there, but... Uh, okay, because I'm a little confused it. by the word prog, and you didn't even explain it earlier. Well, was... will it be explained on Wednesday. Check out the article. Do a, a short <laughs> rundown of what prog technically means. Prog is... Uh, stands for progressive, obviously. It stands for music that generally 
progresses, moves through various stages. It doesn't settle you into a standard verse chorus. It moves through various incarnations of solo work and just pushes the envelope. Okay. Generally. So that, listeners, is prog. But it is a broad spectrum term. So no, yeah, it, it's one of those large umbrellas that bands sometimes that a lot of bands sometimes fall under. It's less, you know, alternative the alternative rock and more a descriptive term and an adjective to add to a style of music. Exactly, it's yeah. not just things that are different. It, it it is descriptive in terms of things. I guess it's a lot of times it's characterized by songs that usually are fairly long, but it is not necessarily just that. Yeah. Odds are, if it's repetitive within those long tracks, it's not prog. Because prog, by definition, is not repetitive. Yeah, it's very different. It flows very differently from standard standard verse-chorus, as you said. Exactly. Okay. And from talking about verse-chorus, we'll get into our album review of the week. It is the Flowbots um, with the circle in the square. It's, it's their new record, which actually came out just about a week ago. Right? Yep. I, I went almost immediately from our recording to Barnes & Noble to see... If I could get it, and then I realized, oh, wait, it's coming out on Tuesday, so I waited a whole day and got it, and I was super excited, and one of the little things that really made me happy about this album was they, they put it in an actual little piece of paper, wrapped up, and slid it just in there. It's like they were trying to be an old-school garage band style. And yeah, I feel, I feel like that's both good and bad. I like when they do that with albums, but... As you guys know, I'm a sucker for like books and like all this extra stuff they put in. Oh, they give you they give you a poster. Oh, really? There's a little poster. It's in my room already. Actually, the last band to do that also did a paper case. Um, So Double Pilots' newest record had a paper case and had a poster inside. Actually, you know what that tactic reminds me of is uh, System of a Down steal this album. I love that record. It's just a blank CD cover. It's a great record, but yeah, they make the box. They make the box (laughs) and the artwork look like it was a burned CD, and I love that. No other band has really done anything like that, and Mm -hmm. I think that was really clever. But back to the Flowbots, because that's who we're talking about today. Um, their album, I have to say, as overall, this album was was a very interesting piece of work. Uh, from the get-go, from Flovatsky. Flovatsky. Flokovsky. They're trying to make it, it sound like Tchaikovsky, but it's Flokovsky. Okay. Uh, it started off a little bit grungier for them, a little bit heavier, heavier-handed. On the instruments, uh, uh, a little bit angrier than what you really hear with the Flowbots. That's uh, one thing I would not call it grungy. Started to disagree with you right up front. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> but, I have uh, a word. That's, 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 okay, the word is wrong. I just don't know what to put in there. Well, that's cluttered, a problem. Cluttered, maybe? <laughs> no. Cluttered isn't quite the word I was looking for. But it, it, it's, we'll it's starting off darker, deeper in the, in the tones of the music. First few tracks were were a lot deeper, uh, a lot darker, a lot, like I said, heavier-handed than what you normally find with the Flowbots. They tend to have a more, even when depressing, an upbeat sound. I could detect a vague, dark tone, but in general, I was catching much more of an upbeat vibe with uh, Flakowski as an intro and followed by the single circle in the square. Yeah, I, 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 I was definitely, this was the upbeat part of the album for me. Upon first listen, I actually didn't really like the intro track at all, but and we'll talk about this more when we get to the end of the album, actually, but upon listening to the end of the album and then re-listening to the first track, I, I found myself appreciating it more. It was a, it was a pretty strong intro, um, and then, you know, it was just an intro, it was a little over a minute long, and then the second, the, the title track, which is the second song on the album, The Circle in the Square, upon the first couple seconds, I didn't really like it, it was kind of repetitive, I wasn't enjoying it, but then as it build, it build... Build as it build, as it built. As it built. <laughs> I was trying to get that word out, and I just couldn't do it. You got an adjective all over that verb. Right yeah, there. I did uh, all over it. Um, as it built, um, I started to like it a lot more. It grew on me because I could tell what they were working towards with that song, and I started. To, that's what started getting me into this this album because upon just first listening to the intro, and then halfway through Circle and Square, I already had. A number in my head of what I was giving it, it was fairly lower than what I came up with as I, we continue to listen. And in Circle in the Squares, where they, they started setting the theme of how the instruments were going to play, you, you had a, a, a very guttural-sounding drum, a very heavy-beated drum, with uh, violin work uh, going through it, uh, long, drawn-out violin notes, with a short smattering of, of back-and-forth, back-and-forth, uh, complementing the drums. And just, just 
momentary, short-lived guitar riffing on top of that. And I think this, this really set the theme of how they used their instruments in this album. Not, not every song was like this, but it's a good understanding of how they treated their instruments. Well, I could see in a way that th- th- this uh, review here could be a little bit all over the place, so I, I want to just try to take this in a different direction. John, since you're the one who brought us this album and this band, could you give give the listeners a little bit of a description as to what makes this band unique as a the, whole? The Flowbots as a whole, bef- okay, I will say that with each album, they've done different things. In their uh, EP, Platypus, and their first full-length album, uh, which was Fight With Tools, they were very lyric oriented with uh simplistic not necessarily un unevolved or stupid instruments by no means but very simple very laid back styled instrumentation they were going for poetry it's a hip hop group that uses rock and roll as their basis it was clear though that those those early records were focused on the lyrics it was less about the music and more about the lyrics and right. then we got survivor story which was like a combination of both. It was definitely uh, better produced uh, instrumentally, but the lyrics were still a forefront in what they were uh, singing about, what they were composing. This album, I have to say, was definitely more instrument-driven than their previous incarnations. And from the get-go, you heard it in Circle in the Square and with the fourth track, which was Sides. Uh, the composition was was much more complex. They really tried to play the instruments off of each other. Uh, I like the way they, they tried to bring down the drums in these two tracks. They tried to bring them a little bit heavier, a little more... A little bit darker. I got a very dark vibe, which is also something you didn't really get with the Flowbots in their first two full-length albums. You got a very uplifting sound. And this, they, they were going for a deeper, darker, uh, almost almost angry almost just shy of being hated kind of a, a, a lyric. And that's not really a proper way to put it. See, I and disagree. I'm not feeling that either. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get... Like, I heard you mentioning to Steve before that you got this angry vibe like... Um, what was the other? Uh, like the Corn album. I don't feel that at all. I feel this album was very uplifting. The lyrics might have had a darker tone, but the songs as a whole were still that kind of move forward, uplift kind of a feel. I didn't really get that dark side, except for, like, um, the fifth track um, on Lost and Having. That one felt very chaotic and dark. I, I got the dark side a little bit at the end, yeah. to be honest. Because, I mean, just look at what we're working with here. Journey After the War, Stop the Apocalypse. Um, Occupy is, Earth. Occupy, Occupy Earth. Earth. And, and, a, and a track, the last track, which is simply titled An Ellipsis. I don't know how much more vague and dark you can get from that. Yeah. But, uh... These are the tracks that I felt probably gave me more of a dark feeling than the earlier half of the album. Yeah. The earlier half of the album, I agree with Matt, was strong, uplifting, it, it, and it had similarities to some of the stuff that you had shown me from the previous work. Yeah, I mean, especially Gonna Be At Free... At least in terms of instrumentation. Especially Gonna Be Free and la- the One Last Show, these were very strong, uplifting... I mean, One Last Show was like almost a party track, you know? Like, I could see them playing it at Mardi Gras. Oh, that was a heavy uh, rap rifting. It was word. very simple, but very well made, and I thought it was it was one of the best songs on the record. One last show, you talk? That, yeah, that very catchy. Incredibly it was catchy. very catchy. Like that's a song that I could picture as a single. There's some songs later on that also, but but one last show was just very 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 catchy and upbeat. It was very, very reminiscent. Like I said, it reminded me of Mardi Gras, like if you, as if we were at a, in a party scene. Well, in in one last show, they they brought the drums to the forefront. That was the driving force in that song. And they would uh, started interplaying the violin, the harmonics, and the guitar work into the song. They would weave it in and weave it out. And it really got the heart pumping that way. Uh, especially during the choruses when you have the, the back singers uh, really bringing not uh, words but notes into play right. with the actual chorus vocals. Uh, it complimented the violins great, complimented the guitar work great. But it was really, this was a song that the drums were the driving force, that the drums were the heartbeat. And this song really showed that. I can see that. Yeah, per- percussion was very strong, I think, in the album as a whole. That was, that was a positive element. They, they definitely use drums better than I've heard a lot of other bands do. I mean, they really Certainly. play... And, and that says a lot for, you know, rap hip-hop group, which usually... Uh, it's just a backbeat. To, yeah, it resorts to backbeats or um, uh, drum box. You know, yeah, kind of thing. a beatbox. Beatbox, that's it. Yeah. But I think we should talk, go back and go to track three. Run, parentheses, run, run, run. It was a very calm beat. 
And yeah, I agree. We need to return to this track because it was. It in was, fact, in fact, I'm going to even go earlier than that, back to Circle in the Square because I had something to say between a comparison here. We had a very, very interesting experience uh, considering this is our first impression of the album, and me and Matt seem to have the exact opposite uh, impression. Oh here. yeah, definitely. Because uh, there's two factors very strongly to consider in. Not just this band, but any band. But it's more prevalent here, and that's music versus lyrics. Yeah. And I think, basically, you weren't feeling Circle in the Square so much. Because I thought that the the um, lyrics and the chorus were very repetitive, whereas the music was very different. And the funny thing is, I felt that with Run. Right, because the music was very repetitive, but the lyrics exactly. were... Exactly. So that, that, that could not define my uh, <laughs> my focus on the... On sort of the music, you know, and your focus on the lyrics any clearer. Right. Well, also for me, like, because I do listen to quite a bit of hip-hop, that when I'm listening to hip-hop, I tend to focus on lyrics even more than when I'm listening to other bands, which is why I was so caught off guard by the second half of the album, how much diversity there was in the music. Exactly, and that, that's the thing with me, is that I, I, I confess that I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of hip-hop, hip-hop for that reason, is because I, I am so drawn to music that the... the I, I like things to evolve within the musical side of things. Lyrically, I enjoy it, but it's not the first thing I'm looking for if I don't have that music, that instrumental background, which a lot of rap tends to loop repetitive, almost endlessly. Yeah, I would um, definitely agree that. And that, instantaneously, I'll just say right up front, is going to put this band much higher than I would rate a lot of other rap groups within the last uh, five, ten years. Um, it's just, I, I think they really... They really did that well. They, their their musical background is strong in general. They include a lot of instrumentals, most of them symphonic instruments. They throw in a lot of violin uh, or viola because we had trouble telling. In previous albums, uh, they threw in horns. I didn't hear horns so much in this album. Actually. No, there, was... there weren't. Really, he's right. There weren't really any horns. Like they a, were hand, playing... handlebars. The big single handlebars yeah. had a lot of that. Yeah. In this a one, nice it's solo. It's like I said from from uh, Circle and Square. It's like they they were treating the. The drums and the violins as their main go-to instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the percussion was heavy, right? Um, but that's why I really like the percussion, is because the percussion didn't feel like a backbeat, like in most music in general. Exactly. It felt like an instrument. It felt like it felt something like an that instrument, could... and it evolved. This, yeah, th- this was uh, these were rap singers singing in front of what almost felt like a like a classical ensemble. Now, I is... thought that's a really really beautiful, unique style. To their credit. I gotta say, uh, Sides really had that drum beat very well. They they interspersed it with uh, uh, bells. Oh, yeah, the, the melody with, of Sides uh, that, that over was, the rhythm worked. It was a beautiful marriage of the two. I, I thought that was actually one of the strongest songs in the album, to be pr- perfectly honest. Sides was incredible. I did enjoy Sides. It wasn't my favorite. My favorite actually came towards the end, the end of the album, which was surprising because I really thought that nothing was going to be going to be free or one last show for me. It still was slightly repetitive, and that's something yeah. I'm going to talk about later. But in general, I really liked the backbone that was carrying me through sides. Yeah, it's, uh, very strong. Um, the album definitely had a great flow. It was definitely clear from the beginning that this was an album that kind of has an overarching theme. But the songs with within each song, there was a definitely a difference between them. But I mean, there's, I mean, just in the titles alone, there's definitely an overarching theme of you know, kind of, I don't want to say hopelessness because that sounds way too strong. But but in that vein, this kind it, of they're jaded. It, it's jaded. That's actually probably closer with, to what I'd agree with. Yeah. Um, jaded is a good word. Like but the, it gets more so as it goes along. I want to stress that I do not consider this jaded in the as, as a whole, but if that's a good way to explain the word jaded, because you don't get jaded overnight, it happens over it's time. It's a progression, yeah. And this album exhibited that. Talking about that, I have to talk about On Loss and Having, which I am conflicted. Either it's my most loved or most hated song, and I'm going to have to listen to it a few more times, because there was an aspect in it. It was a very whispering lyrics... That complemented the beats, and there was—I don't care what you guys say—I felt a lot of anger in that song, especially in the chorus. And the chorus is the this song. I was going to listen to the album before we actually uh, got here today, and this song made me actually stop the album. It made me have to stop and just calm down and hear it because there was parts of the lyrics that really just severely got to me. That this was a song that had the line about shooting him in the head. 
Yeah. And this was the one that it, it that hit a hit a nerve. I don't know how to explain it. That really caused me to. I had to stop. See, I would I wouldn't necessarily say you're wrong wrong about it being angry, but it felt more haunting than angry to me. It felt you got that kind of creepy kind of vibe from the way it's presented. Yeah, I picked up on that. I did. Like, yeah, okay. like, no, no, no. That is definitely much more appropriate. I think it of. just it felt like. The lyrics were haunting, you know, the whisper, the beats were haunting, and then how he's whispering, whispering, and then shouts the last three lines of a, of, a, of a verse. I mean, it was kind of, it was just kind of that kind of empty, haunted house kind of creepy feel. And that's why, it's why I actually had to stop the album. It was, I was, I was driving the car, and I had just got to the, my destination, when I finished hearing this song, and I had to step out of the car, I had to shut it off. I did not go back to it until we did it today, almost a week later. I'm, there was nothing else I could do because I knew that if this is the song in this album that did this to me, I knew I couldn't listen to it without you guys around here because I was going <laughs> to need somebody to talk to about this. You needed, and, a, you needed a shoulder to cry on. No, not, <laughs> not a shoulder to cry on, but I had to have somebody to bounce ideas about this album off of it. And then it went right into Gonna Be Free, which, which was violent, heavy, uh, heavy song. The drums took a bat beat. It was very calming right after that song. Gonna Be Free felt like a very classic 90s R&B track almost with a little bit of hip-hop sprinkled in. It was very... The chorus was very strong. Um, it was very well made. It was the the... The variety of people singing along and layered together did great work to bring out the lyrics. You know, I might I might uh, object to that classic 90s hip-hop comparison there, only because of the chord structure of this song. It had a chord structure. Yeah, that's it's true. very important, and I do not see that in 90s hip-hop. I wasn't talking about 90s hip-hop, I was talking about 90s R&B. Oh, 90s R&B. Okay, actually, all right. R&B, I, I did not Because it was that. very reminiscent of, a, like, a slower, more melodic uh, Montel Jordan song, or, you know, like, one of those songs that wasn't heavy or fast, but it was just kind of melodic and, and, and relaxed Okay, and my, my mistake then, because R&B If I had said hip-hop, had, I apologize. I meant R&B. R&B had a good, uh, had a very good chord structure. They, they, um, yeah. they, they, they thought very, they at least thought about it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's just not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to bash rap or anything. It's just a lot of rap and hip hop primarily do not put focus on chord structure because it's true. And John said this earlier. You're not really supposed to focus on that. You're supposed to be focusing on the lyrics. Um, but the as sim- I said, that, the simplicity in the beats is to push the lyrics right, forward. That's going to divide listeners against each other for those who prefer, you know, more in their music. And I have to say, gonna be free. I, 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 not just the, the overall beat structure in it, but they knew when to cut it out. There was a couple of times where they just destroyed the beat, cut it off like, like a growth, just chopped it, and let the harmonics just completely flow the song. Yeah. Which I really the, thought brought, brought down from On Lost and Having, brought down that feeling I got, yeah, which the, I'm sure not everybody's going to get, but it, it brought me back. The vocal it got harmonies, me the vocal harmonies in Gonna Be Free were absolutely beautiful, especially at the outro. It just, it had a beautiful ending. Um, and the violin, it, it's it, very complimentary to everything else that's going on. Yeah, I referred to it as a background, I was a backbone before, but that's because it complements it. And I mean, there's several moments in the the album where the violin takes a lead, almost as if it were a guitar, almost, and that's that's not something you hear very often. And I very much enjoy that. Yeah, that's right. It actually does serve a very very similar role. It's sort of like you're you're in the midst of the verse, and then all of a sudden, uh, the would be guitar, in this case violin, enters, and you're sort of distracted because you're so taken away by the melody that it's creating. I mean, I've said before. I don't know if on the show, but definitely just in general, that I'm a sucker for violin and anywhere where violin's not supposed to be. Violins are great where they're supposed to be in classical pieces, but when they're in rock or alternative or rap or hip-hop or R&B, it... I just... I think it's a great compliment to those... that kind of music, too. And not enough people use it. That's the thing. Like, the classic rock instrumentation has been guitar, maybe another guitar, bass and percussion, occasionally keyboard, for at least 50 years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's inevitable that that will, it, you can do a lot with that structure, but when you hear something outside of it, 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 is, it is jarring in the good way. Yeah, it, 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 takes it gets hold your attention. It. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a good tactic, and um, doing that in, in hip-hop is even more rare and I think well used here. And 
Well, after Gonna Be Free, which was all about the violins. I wrote that down. All about the violins. They were <laughs> treating it. The they were treating it like respectfully. They were treating it as the showstopper in this case. This I was the guy you were listening gorgeously to. Gorgeously complimentary. <laughs> and then I went into uh, one last show, which was that drum riff, uh, the drum beat that was interspersed with guitar. Yeah, that, that's that's the catchy violin. one. That's the catchy one. Although I would argue a slight bit aimless. This okay. is where. Um, this is where the album actually started to take a little bit of a turn for me because I started to get a little bit upset at their uh, the structures of their verses and choruses. Occasionally, they would kind of go out of left field. And you, you noticed this, Matt, with, with a, a couple of things here. I think, where did you notice that? It was towards the end of the album more so because as a fan of hip-hop, when, when, when the lyrics go out of sync with the backbeat, sometimes it's to bring the lyrics forward and I can kind of... if. If the lyrics have a strong enough beat on their own, they kind of stand alone as an instrument on their own. Um, but but in one last show, one last show I kept saying was this kind of party track, almost as if you were Mardi Gras. So I can understand where Steve's ta- what Steve's talking about. Yeah, this, this is, kind all, of this is only where I started to notice that it, it wasn't it wasn't too evident because after all, when when it is a catchy song, I can take a little bit of repetition. I'm yeah. fine with it. So at this point, I still had pretty high hopes. I gave it. I gave it three check marks. If that means anything, <laughs> I don't know if it means anything. Um, after that, after one last show was the interlude track, which is kind of standard on every hip hop record. Actually, this was record. yeah. This was done to actually break. break it was the, right in the middle. This was to break up the the, the tracks. And I mean, I understand why artists do interlude tracks. Sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they're not. But like in this case, it was very throwaway. I don't even remember what it sounded like, honestly. Well, that's. I think that was the point. I think it was to to, to divide. Because it was what forty seconds long, it was, it divide, was short, the, yeah. divide the album. Yeah. It was supposed to go from A side to B side here. I thought it and had a nice tone, but you're right in terms of relatability. I can't really connect it to well, anything it's not else. A, it's not a song; it's an instrument part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To divvy up the album, and I really did. If this was a vinyl, this would close out side one very nicely. Yes. Yeah, actually, it did divide the album very, very nicely. And side two, nine and onward, tracks nine and onward, really had a very different feel from track from uh, the first seven, eight tracks. And the second half of the album for me is what really won me over. I mean, song after song, I was really into it. I really dug it. For 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 the reasons that I was looking for in this album, um, and that's where it lost me for some reason. But I'll let you continue. But we'll I think that might that. be um, not synonymous, but uh, expectant for our tastes. I think that's why it might have lost you, but it really hooked me in. Is you're not really a hip hop fan, and I am, and maybe it was hitting the right hip hop notes that I was looking for that maybe pulled you away. It, it's a possibility anyway. The second Perhaps. half, the second half was definitely more lyrically driven. Yes. Uh, starting with Wrestled Israel. Wrestling Israel. Oh, Wrestling Israel. Yes. Sorry. It's okay. Um, yeah, I... Honestly, I... By title alone, I pre- prejudged the song as going, Oh no, here we go. Yeah, right? it's something heavy politically handed, which and is it, what Flowbots is known for. And it really wasn't. No, it, I, I it had a very that. pretty chorus, and it was very... It flowed very nicely. I, I had the same fear, and I agree it did, did not go in that direction. I was not happy about I was, that. Me too. It was just a very pretty song... The the latter half of the album really pushed forward their their female singer whose name I don't know off the top of my head, but she was really in the forefront on the second half half of this album. She was very much involved in the chorus as a key, or even the background vocals, keeping the songs flowing. Especially Rose and the Thistle. Yeah, and I love that. I love her voice was beautiful and very much complemented the beats that they were producing, which was uh, much more prevalent in their previous album, Survivor Story. Uh, also, just like the vo- the violin work, if you only know Flowbots from Fight with Tools, you're going to notice in Survivor Story they do take a much higher forefront, not to this level. But getting back to the, these tracks, I mean, Wrestle Israel, res- wrestling is really yeah. yeah, the chorus was hugely complemented by the, that military beat that they kept throwing in, and the the, the standard uh, rap rifting that they were doing was with a with a, a much more simplistic type of beat. And allowed you to hear the lyrics, but once the chorus hit, they really hit a that 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 kind of a beat that I think worked great with the harmony they were creating with the vocals. See, I'm, uh, this this is a point. Wrestling Israel is a point where I started to notice sort of a, a pattern in some of their previous songs, which I think was most evident in this track. And it's basically that I don't think they're making the best use of what they have. As I said, their their strong points really are their instrumentation because it is so unique. You don't find it in hip hop, and it is here. It, it, it's going to catch your attention no matter what. But now, in manner of the way they use it, they have this pattern of 
coming out with something really, really strong in the beginning. Something that turns your head, because it's usually so different from the previous track. And then they settle you down into perhaps somewhat more of a semi-generic rap verse, right? Only providing sort of uh, looped uh, instrumentation. When I say looped instrumentation, they're almost doing with real instruments what I would still find done with with typical uh, rap loops. You guys follow me here? Yeah. yeah, because in Loneliness, the next track, it was extremely... It was glaring. It was extremely Yeah, and that's... <laughs> you pretty much hit the nail on the head there, because I was starting to notice this pattern so much that I actually drew a little bit of a, a little bit of a sine wave that started up top, went down to the bottom, went up top again, and went down to the bottom again. Right? But then when I, that, that's for Riding Israel, and then with Loneliness, I just said repetitive, because there's no way to... It was very repetitive. Lo- loneliness was... I mean, it's one of those songs where... You can have that argument of art versus music, and I'm, I hate. First of all, I hate that argument just because I hate people who will sacrifice oh, talent. I for love art. that argument. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you I mean, I mean. But my point is, though, is with loneliness is one of those songs which clear. It's not accidental. The fact that it's so simple and so you get this lonely feeling from the track was definitely done on purpose. But whether it's good for that reason is harder to say. I like the song. I didn't hate it, but I just felt like the thing is there was something missing. Interprets loneliness differently. The idea of loneliness mm-hmm. for some people, yeah, all right, it might be repetitive, right? Mm-hmm. In which case, sure, it, it, it's very metaphorical. The stuff that is going yeah. on here in the track. If it's repetitive, it probably is meant to symbolize the repetitive nature that loneliness gives you. You're sort of stuck in a rut, a loop, you know, uh, it, it, it feels like you can't get out of it. I can understand that concept, but I also know that for other people, loneliness is a very complex thing, and it can be interpreted in a very complex way. There's I think this could have benefited more from that idea. And I have to say that I think the song actually captured exactly what you said on both sides. There was a very repetitive nature in the drums and the violin and uh, the bass in the background, which I don't even think you heard till the end of the song. But the <laughs> lyrics were fast-paced, frantic, all over the place uh, when they were rapping, and it, it, the uh, chorus was very mood-oriented, trying the bridge, the, the slow beat with the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth that... And if, and if that's the case, if that is the case, then sue me and my aversion to lyrics in the first uh, opening part of the album. I just I view lyrics as a complimentary thing on a first listen alone, right? Which means this could easily change for me on a second, third, and fourth. I'm just saying it, it does not grab me because of that, that inclination that I have. And that is that music, the music itself should evolve. And if the music doesn't evolve, it, it does tend to, to wear on me for a while. And in this case, I think it was the lyrics that actually did it. The actual voices were evolving from something that was... Right, for you, it's inverted. Yeah, it was jarring. The lyrics were jarring in the very beginning. And then he, they settled down and were telling a story, much the way I look for in songs. And it, it became uh, almost like they were getting out of this loneliness. They were ter- beginning to accept it by the end of the song. Now, I consider this more of an art track, going back to the argument, more of an oh, okay. art track than a musical track. But I felt it really captured the title, uh, admirably, they really captured what they were going for. Yeah, no, you know what? This is going to be very analogous to the whole uh, conversation we had last week about whether the Young Veins did achieve the retro sixty sound. Of course, we all agree that they did. Like, no one's going to argue that. But as to whether they should have or not, or whether you know that, that that's a matter of the artistic, uh, you know, that's the art, art versus music debate. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, but. But we still had this. What it is. We still had the repetitiveness of okay, wrestling is real, not as big. Loneliness, obviously, there, and I do feel that the repetitive nature of their beat was uh, in the rose and the thistle. Uh, it had a, the chorus repeated many, 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 many times. Yeah, it was a nice chorus the first, second, and third time, but by the fifth and sixth. Yeah, that's where it, I started losing that song. As nice as the female vocalist is, still war. And I completely disagree with both of you. I think that this... It's okay, it's okay, you can be wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah, you mean like you are all the time, right? Oh, he just negated your next two minutes. Yeah, pretty much. No, uh, no, no, Matt I'm brought sorry. up a good point the, earlier. The Rose and the Thistle really reminded me of a classic pop single hip-hop track. A, a, a song that would be released as a single. It brought me to like the late 90s to early 2000s outcast kind of style of complex raps, then followed by a very repetitive chorus, your Miss Jackson... You know, where it's same thing over and over again. But it brings you in because you can sing along. And, you, and it's mem- the chorus is memorable. Like, no one's going to question what the name of this song was. 
You will immediately remember what it and is. And I had to agree with and him. And you probably said... get it stuck in your head, is the thing. Exactly. I mean, uh, mentioning Miss Jackson by Outkast, anyone who's who listens to any music knows that song, or Hey Ya by, by Outkast. Both of those songs have very repetitive choruses, but are very memorable, and when you hear the titles, you remember the songs. And I feel Rose and the Thistle is one of those songs, and I hope they release it as a single, because I think it would be a great radio single. Yeah, if they get back on the radio. They haven't been on the radio in a while. Yeah, well, that happens with a lot of bands. A lot of bands do a lot better promotion online than they do on the radio anyway. Well, I don't know. The radio, I mean, in many ways, the audience... Our experience with this album is for the first time, except for John, who got a little bit of a sneak peek at the early part. Nevertheless, first-time listeners, that's the kind of thing that a radio would... That's that's what you'd be doing on the radio. You'd be hearing it for the first time, and you're going to be judging it on the first time. uh, That's what's going to make your determination is whether you're going to keep switching and going to the next track. Um, Next station, I mean. In which case, it's, it's really tough to say, because I think people would get a little bit tired of that chorus. Mm, I it's think repetitive. It would, I think it would hook people in. But I really with this, do. Okay, with this repetitiveness, that I'm, I think we both... Even you said it had redeeming qualities, Matt. You, you said it was in a good way it was used. They they got rid of it. They actually picked it back up with, yeah. with the end of the track. Occupy Earth um, had a great flow to it, and they really let the violin come back out and play in this track again. Now, now Occupy Earth... Sorry, I just want to get this out before you go off because I know you have a lot to say about the song. Was my favorite track on the album. I agree. And my actually, it in was my case, it, yes. this song was a five star song on the album for me, and I'll tell you why. Because you really got this feel of this kind of this hugeness. I mean, it's called Occupy grandiosity, Earth, which is not a word. Yeah, but, but we're going to use it. But you grandiose. You got this grandiose feel from the song, and and I, I really and I really liked it. It really pulled me in. And honestly, I really, really wish this was followed by "Stop the Apocalypse" instead of "Journey After the War." "Journey After the War" killed that feeling for me. Are you sure about that? Because I really, really love "Journey After the War." I see. I like the song. I just you I don't just know. didn't like the placement. I the think album. that "Stop the Apocalypse" would have been a great follow up to "Occupy Earth." I was okay with that follow up. You know, I know I generally said that the last half of this album was a little bit of a, of a letdown for me in terms of overall tone, but there are some winners here, and I think "Occupy Earth." I agree. Great song. Um, I, I, I had that great to, had that great keyboard. It had that great keyboard solo. Yeah, that was kind of like say something about that here because that is what I was trying to say before about this is the kind of stuff this band has the ability to do. They can throw in those awesome little you know it, not just to be used as interludes. They could they could use that as an integral part of the song, but it wasn't. It was just thrown in as a, as a little a keyboard little solo in the end. Up, yeah. It was great. It was wonderful, but that's just not what they are. You know that feeling you have right now. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt with the Young Veins. How they could have they gone could further. have done more. They could have they... pushed more. That's fair. That this is what I tried to say last week, but Steve actually says it a lot better than I do. <laughs> um, because I felt the violin in Occupy Earth was a, a, a little frantic, a little warring, and in Journey After the War (parentheses War Fatigues), uh, the backbone was the violin and drum work again, and the the lyrics felt warring. And then in Stop the Apocalypse. You got the drums with a, a muted, and I called it a frantic beat. It's almost like in, in these, these last three tracks for me, uh, it, it was like they, they chose an aspect to truly get get frantic, get evil, get get uh, devil's advocate on well, the actual song. Yeah, well, that's what I, have, I actually have notes. I don't take a lot of notes. Like what, Looking at their, uh, the notes that we all take for the albums, I feel like I'm in junior high school again where I think I'm doing something wrong because I don't have as much notes as the You write down the track me. title and put stars. But 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 I do remember a lot of phrases. Sometimes but, it's just for courtesy, just to make you feel better. <laughs> but It's all up here. But, but fran- my exact notes for Journey After the War, because I did like the song, was frantic but focused. And it's contradicting, but it was. It was no, kind of I, all over I the place. hundred percent agree with you. It was that. frantic, but it had a goal. It was going somewhere. And, and that really it drew me in. Structureless, in the good way. Right. Because you don't always need structure in a song. And that, that, again, another example of what they could do on a grand scale, but they don't do in yeah. every single track in this album. I, nevertheless, I'm glad they put these at the end. I'm glad they put these it's near the end. It's a great wrap-up to the album. It's a very a strong fish, finish, too. Well, it's not quite the finish, because right. we still have Stop the, Stop Apoc- the Apocalypse. And, uh, yeah. uh, what, there is, there is, there is ellipsis, but I'm going to hold off on that because, in many ways, that's more of an outro than a final track. Stop yeah. the Apocalypse, ellipse, I what, consider to be the final track. It, it was. 
Um, it was, I loved the beat in that one. It was so quiet, so downplayed, yet was all over the place. It was, but it was kind of a letdown. And I mean that in the pun way. It was a letdown, of, I think they intended. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's about the apocalypse. Yeah, I consider the At, title. Yeah, and I think that it was well played and well... I mean, you know what, now that we talk about it, I'm, I may take it back. You guys, I think, are right. You convinced me. Journey After the War, it really, it, it really pushes Stop the Apocalypse's message much harder coming after that. And I think I have to agree and take that back. That Stop the Apocalypse belongs where it was because of how Occupy Earth, Earth went into Journey After the War, War Fatigues, went into Stop the Apocalypse and had this kind of letdown feel of Oh crap! The world's over. Like, oh crap! What do we do? If you listen to them lyrically, which uh, I don't think that uh, I know Steve really wasn't trying too hard. I was. <laughs> I was um, trying to the best of my ability, but we all go into this with different. Uh, the actual lyrics. The lyrics were uh, still had an uplifting feel to it, but it was in the words, not in the tone. I agree. With I, that. You missed you, you missed it because you were going. You you're hearing the tone, Steve. And that's okay. You're, that's your ear, and we actually play off of that. I was going for... No, no. We, I, I, it would be terrible if we all heard the same thing on every album. This we, podcast we, would be very boring. Yes, We but, would just be like, yes. Yes, you're right. Yes. So are you. You're right. Oh, yeah, all right. Quite. Instead of, no, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> and in this case... As Zoidberg would say, the, you it's missed, bad and you should feel bad. You, you missed the, 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 the oh, words. And I heard the words, and it wasn't so downplayed. It was a little more uplifting than you give it credit for. It, it, it's tone is all I'm talking about. Yeah. I agree. In, in terms of lyrics, you're right. I cannot speak 100% to that. But in terms of tone, it really got depressing toward the end. Even you agreed. Oh, yes. Yeah. In tone, it, it, it's a bit of a letdown. But the words, the poetry in it was... This is where I felt like Flowbots was coming back to themselves. Or coming back to their old school... Uh, 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 beauty in the words they like to use. And they were going full-fledged poetry on it again. And it really felt like a great ending to what I consider probably... Well, not probably. This is their darkest of albums. This is the, the darkest of tones they've set with their album. And that's really prevalent in this story. This is this album is, in fact, a story. It It's their usual... Well, not their usual message, but their usual style of creating a message in their album. And I think Ellipsis actually personifies this. And I know you got something to say about this, Steve. Well, I don't know. Ellipsis... I don't know if I'm going to say what you think I'm going to say about Ellipsis. I, I just think it's an outro. It is an outro in a very general sense. It ties loosely with the first track. Um, it ties, ties more than loosely. It's the same beat sped yeah, up right, as, the, right, as right. the intro. But, I, that's, I'm not always down with something like that. Because that's almost like... Like, putting a parenthesis on the whole entire album. Okay, fine, it makes it a unit in a strict sense. But does it really all tie together? I would argue not, and that's why I really hesitate to to really call 15 a final track. It's I, an I, outro in the most basic sense of it ties back to the first. But do you really remember the first by that point? I think I would agree with Steve only because I feel it's too on the nose. It's one of those songs that's like, we get it, it's the same as the first. They connect. Whereas yeah, if, if that's a courtesy, which is which if they hadn't had Ellipsy and they had Stop the Apocalypse, I think it just would have. I think it might have. I think Stop the Apocalypse would have been a perfect final track. Well, this is this is a bit of a strange comparison, but consider Sgt. Pepper. Just just consider no, that is an album which I, I think is at the top tier of an album that binds itself together a hundred percent. It everything relates in some way, and even if it's just in a general tone or feel of the album. But what do you have? You have the opening track, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Then you have a reprise, but that reprise is not the final track. The reprise comes before that. The final track is A Day in the Life. And yet that's the one that ties it together, even though it sounds nothing strictly like any other track. But it ties it together in terms of of, of tone and meaning. You know, uh, more subtle it's... elements than strictly, we have the same beat, it is the yeah. same song. Uh, yeah. I consider, it, well, to, just to be... Uh... Uh, a little more refining. This is how I view it. Uh, it's almost like a little help for my friends is tied to a day in the life, and the song Sergeant Pepper and the reprise are meant to show the differences from beginning to end of the album. I follow that. I I, I simply 
did not gather any meaning from it, is my issue. And in this album, in Circle in the Square, I felt like we they could have got rid of track 1, 8, and 15 and still had a better album. I agree. I think The, the throwaway eight, yeah. tracks that were meant to be interlude, intro, outro, they did not need, but I understand why they put them in there. You know what? Yeah, that's a very... That's an astute observation, and I'll accept that, despite that they are the instrumental tracks. And I know I love the instrumental aspect of uh, this band, but the thing is, I, I just I'm not really sure I dig how they uh, how they go about it. The fact of the matter is, it's still it's a lyrical album. It's a lyrical band. That's where you're re- what you're really supposed to be focusing on. So when they do uh, go for tracks and, and and segments that are purely musical, I feel like sometimes they just lose the overall structure of it. It's a little it's a little aimless. I've noticed that on several tracks on this album. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that, I, and I definitely agree with what John said wholeheartedly. If they removed 1, yeah. 8, and 15, I think the album would have been a lot stronger. Or even keep 1, but remove 8 and 15. I don't think yeah. they needed those. I think that, I understand they wanted to break it up, and it did break it up nicely, but I feel like if, if you have the jarring jump from... One last show to Wrestling Israel, I think that would have been more impactful than the breakdown. And just back to the art versus music debate, that's a... Uh, I'm a little... Uh, I'm a little torn with Stop the Apocalypse because of that reason. Stop the Apocalypse achieves the depressing tone that they're trying to leave in your mouth at the end of this album. Um, which, I, you know, I'm going to go back to what you said, John. You, you, mm. you called it a sort of... Uh, uh, how did you put it? Stop the apocalypse, sort of leaving a, a negative taste in your mouth, leaving a, it's a, a failure, little... a sort of failure. That's that's what you were going for. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, it things did not work out like you thought they would, but it, there's still a chance. That's yes. there's still a chance. That's well, what's the, ironic that's the... is that it leaves that more in the beginning of the album than at the end, mm-hmm. and that I think is really what they more should have gone for here. Is like I would have replaced Stop the Apocalypse with something a little bit more upbeat. Uh, well, not upbeat. That's the wrong term. I mean something that offers hope. Do you know what? Even in the saddest sense. I think Flokovsky should have come after Stop the Apocalypse. That should have been the outro. That probably no ellipses. Flokovsky after Stop the Apocalypse would have had that kind of upbeat perhaps together. Because, perhaps because even though the we, finishing. we compare we compare Flokovsky to Stop to with the ellipsis very closely. Flokovsky functions. It had lyrics, and it, it, it yeah, it, it binds itself together better, rather think, than just a simple instrumental. I think that would wrap the album up much nicer. If they, ki- if they killed 8 and 15 and put 1 at the end, I think that would have wrapped the album up a lot well, nicer. We, we can stop trying to fix this. I mean, it is yeah, what it is, no. and I gotta... I still find that its overall arc, its overall uh, pacing, was actually very well done, though. It flowed. It started... I don't know if it had just uh, peaks I'm, and valleys throughout the album. I'm very, 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 very glad that you brought up the Young Veins thing because there is a very close connection with our uh, our views on the matter because that was what you did not like about the Young Veins is the fact that, you know, they were going for something and they achieved it. We all agree they achieved it, but you think they could have done better. I think, well, I also I think, think they th- achieved it here. I think Flobots achieved went... this, but they could have done better. Oh, I got to agree. I'm, I'm... I have to agree. Uh... I'm not saying this is their worst album or best album. As a whole, it's hard to really gauge because all three of their full-length albums have been different from one another. Uh, They have different sounds, different feelings to them. I felt that their aim with this album was from A to Z. They knew where they were going with it, and I felt like they achieved it. I did like them experimenting. Their production was significantly leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the earlier stuff, but I felt like their lyrics kind of suffered for that, especially when they were going for heavily composed and very well composed pieces, but it, it, the words lost meaning. Okay, composed is a word that we throw around a lot. It's true. It's funny because I heard earlier that prog is also a word that a lot of people throw around a lot. Which well, is no, the, you throw it around a lot. No, no, I throw, <laughs> I, I throw it around the right places. <laughs> But seriously, when it comes to comp- composition here, I composition is is a strange word because uh, I suppose in the context of uh, of the bands that we're looking at, I, I mean it to be more of a, a, a unifying aspect of of a, of a song, right? Something that that really flows one moment into the next, very very logically and uh, and fluidly, right? But when you have very strict breaks between your verses and your choruses, and you just return very suddenly. That to me is not so much composition as it is songwriting. 
that that that, that songwriting equally hailed as, as much of a talent. It's just not so much composition. The use of the background instruments in this piece, which people associate as going for composed pieces, right? There are symphonic instruments, but they're used in a looped sense. I not think... in every track, and I make clear note of all the cases where they don't use it that way, when they do use it in composition, but I wouldn't call it a composed album as a whole. I think that it's a... That's my point. I think it's better... A better word to use instead of composed is produced. It's a well-produced album. The, I agree. The mixing 100%. is done beautifully. It's... And to just kind of start bringing it into a wrap-up, this album, I told John earlier, is their hands down their best produced and mixed album. It was layered beautifully. It was produced very well. It didn't sound simplistic. They had complexities in there that I had never heard before in a Flowbots song. And so for me, I just think it was very well produced and very well mixed. Um, that being said, um, at the beginning of listening to this album, I thought it was going to be an even three after hearing the intro track. I just wasn't that into it, but you know, I liked it. I thought it'd be average. But after getting about three or four tracks into the album, I started to draw me in. And, and after listening to it and how well it was produced and the, how well the mixing was done with all the different instruments and the layering and how the drums were used as an instrument, which I love when bands do that and not a lot of bands do, using the drums as this instrument that's just not supposed to carry the rest of the band, for me, that really bumped it up another level for me. And so I'm definitely giving this album a strong four. I really liked it. I thought it was very good. Um, I don't know all of their other albums on a whole, so this was the first full album I've listened to and really focused on, but I loved it. I thought it was very good, and and I enjoyed what they tried to do here, um, but I do agree that they might have missed the mark a little bit, and that they could I think that their next record, if they keep in this pattern, is going to blow our minds. I really do. I think that they can do so much more, and they and they will. Hey, John, what did you give uh, Young Vince? I give him three and a half, four, something like that. Yeah, that. <laughs> no, I'm no that's, that's mean. That's mean. I, I I will bump it a little bit above that because I really do like the direction that this band is headed in. I, I as I said, for the same reasons that you may have thought they didn't hit the mark, um, I don't think they, this quite hit the mark. But it, I can't play, place it at a three point five. It's 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 too original to be that low. I um I'm gonna give it just shy of a four, three point nine. <laughs> And Steve with the the decimal points. Hey, uh, started that. <laughs> I'm gonna say, from a personal point of view, I I had no idea that they could do this. I was expecting something more like poetry, as opposed to art. And I feel like that's where they they did it. It's more of a, a an instrumental piece as opposed to their standard lyrical stuff. Saying that, I have to say they really pushed the envelope with their instruments. They knew where they were going. They they they. Tried new things. It's a four. It's... Is this going to be one of those what is art debates? No, I don't think so. No. Um, <laughs> I'm not having that. But they... We they, will. Not not today, though. I don't they, want... That's, that's, a, that's hey. a full podcast. Hey. Let him finish. Let me finish. <laughs> they missed the mark on their storytelling ability, but they more than made up for it with their their inventiveness with their instruments. Yes. With with treating the drums and violin with such respect throughout this album, it was solid. And if they ever combined it with the poetry that they had in Fight with Tools, I'm I'm going to I'm going to cry. I mean, it's if they were able to put that and this together, it's going to be amazing. And this is a solid four because they just did it. They 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 had an idea. They had an arc. They fulfilled it. I just wish they had gone a little bit better with with their words. Can we expect an article from you on uh, on Flobot's earlier work? I'll probably have to write something like that up. You probably should. <laughs> yeah, I think that would definitely uh, complement this, this podcast very well. But um, I want to go back to something we were talking about moments ago when I was talking about production and mixing. This album benefits from the high quality of mixing and production, and it's definitely a good album for it. But I don't feel like that's always the case. I feel like there are plenty of bands that are clearly gifted in production. They know how to mix, but the work still falls flat. My greatest example and everyone's pick of the week to throw jabs at is Nickelback. I personally happen to enjoy their music for what it is, which is very simple, generic rock. But when you use that example, almost as much as he says Weezer, you say Nickelback, <laughs> but it, for very different reasons. Ironically, but, I'm using Weezer in a few minutes. But, but <laughs> to finish my point, 
Nickelback clearly produces the albums very well. They're they're clean. They're very well well recorded and mixed. But the music falls kind of flat. It's you know it's just you know you could you could substitute half of their songs with half of their other songs. Hmm. Whereas Flowbots, this record was very well produced and very well mixed, and every song is different. The, some of them have similar traits, but you clearly remember each song on this record. You remember them differently. You can tell them with distinction. Uh, you can see A to B to C to D. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, another band that uh, has that same sort of like uh, soullessness in their production... Actually, there's a lot of bands like that, where they're very clean, they're very well made, but they really don't have anything to them. Uh, uh, Hurley by Weezer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was I'm sorry. they had so much fun and they knew Without what they were man. doing in 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 post production. They were mixing and mashing and putting it all together, but it kind of fell flat when you compare it to their earlier records. It didn't have the same soulfulness. That's not saying I don't like Hurley or Ratitudes to the same extent, but it wasn't the same level of uh, honesty that you got in like the Blue Album, the Green Album, Pinkerton. Well, we're, we're clearly yeah. not talking about like we're just talking about production. I mean, let's take something. Let's take something kind of far left. All right. Primus. Ooh. Primus is a great band, and they clearly know how to mix. They play lead bass. Les Claypool leads the band with that bass playing. That's very uh, bold. However, you know, their earlier records are very, you know, they pop, they crackle, they're not well produced, but the way the music plays carries it through. It cuts right through. And oh, you I enjoy agree. it. Whereas their later stuff, some of the better produced stuff, I like less. Because yeah. I, I like that I, raw sound for Primus because it really fit that band. Whereas if Nickelback was that raw, I don't. I think the whole band would fall apart. Whereas I, I, Primus carries through that. I definitely agree with you 100% there. That's uh, it's a very tricky thing because I, I, I look to that a lot. I, you know, I don't really need anything to be crazy well produced. Because after all, that's how a band makes their start in, in the beginning anyway. They need to have a really good demo, right? A demo usually is... Anything from well produced, it's really just the bare bones uh, um, show of what they're doing. It's a, it's a the montage basically. But to be fair, demos now are better quality than they were years ago. True, because it's digital recording and it's a lot it's a lot easier to make a, a solid, professional sounding record. True, but in the years that Prima started, no, you know, of course, for instance, that's right. It, it's got to be. It's got to be distinguishable. Yes. And, and, and even today, it still has to be. It just has to be something that uh, will turn heads. Well, yeah. Well, like the the band almost there, who's a local Jersey band. Their first full length record. Listening to it, it could be on the shelf of a store. Like I, I, it doesn't sound homemade. It doesn't sound, you know, pop. Like the crackling and it, it's a well, well mixed and digitally recorded record. And they're a local band. Can you think of any examples of uh, bands that did have insanely well-produced records and sold for that reason? No. Yes. Oh, who? The Gorillas. <laughs> because the Gorillas is almost completely digital and mixed. They have a live band, but most of their recordings are produced and mixed. And That is a fantastic example. And, and it really shows... So Clint Eastwood, uh, the album with Clint Eastwood, which... Was the album called Clint Eastwood? No, but I think it was that the Gorillaz album. Yeah, that was was the self-titled. So the self-titled record was well mixed and well done, and then Demon uh, Days. Demon Days was better, and it was still Demon Days is a phenomenal album, and and it's so much better mixed and so much better. But it's all mixing and production. You're right. It's very little. Gorillaz is one of those bands which I'd have to be a little. I'd be a little hesitant to actually go to a concert. Because I'm not sure they could actually reproduce all the same things that they do. That now, now don't get me wrong. Many bands d- do come up with very uh, innovative things on stage. And I'm going to interrupt only because I have seen them live. Oh, have you? And they're better live. <gasps> and I'll explain why. That's fun. Okay, go for because it. Because I, I gotta hear this. They bring everything. When me and Pete went to see them, Pete's a mutual friend of ours. Um, I think it was two years ago. It was about then, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I. It was right this. after Plastic I Beach came know. out. And, first of all, they had a pre-recorded video of Snoop Dogg, who does the intro track for Plastic Beach, and it's a video of him in a ship captain's outfit singing that track. But the music from that track is being played live on stage. 
Via synthesizers? Or Everything. Like, Drums, synthesizers. They actually have the answer. How many people were on stage? A ton. They had, they had a chorus of women singing. They had... The lead, That's the, the, the static The static band member in Gorillaz is the lead singer, um, Damien, who is also the lead singer and guitarist for... No, lead singer and bassist for Blur. He comes out and he's singing, and the, the best part about their live show is that the entire time they'll cut away to videos of animated clips... Of the gorillas backstage yelling at the people making too much noise. Like as if they're not the same people. As if what's going on out there. They're locked in their dressing room and can't get out and they hear all this noise. And they're cursing about it and they can't get out. The, the thing that blew me away was they have a song called Dare. Which mm-hmm. there's a female vocalist who was only featured on, on that album, on Demon Days. Uh, who was under the guise of Noodle, the youngest member, the female member of the gorillas. When she sings on the later album, it's a different vocalist. That vocalist only showed up in New York for that part of the tour and was a surprise for everyone and came out and sang that song along with the original hip-hop artist who did the rapping part in that video, in that song, because it wasn't, it wasn't Damien. They had Mos Def on stage. They had, I'm trying to think of the other guest artists, but all of the guest, almost all of the guest artists who were featured on their previous records were there live along with this huge ensemble on stage. And never do they claim on stage to be the gorillas. They're just performing the songs. The gorillas are still locked backstage. That is absolutely fascinating. It was brilliant. It's one of my... My favorite concert before that was ACDC. After that was gorillas. Because they pulled it together so well. I had the same fear because earlier on, when they first performed live in the city, um, they performed behind a screen and they, they prefer, performed just their self-titled album. And they had to play some songs twice because they didn't have enough music. But by the time that this was in Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden was, wasn't big enough for the sound they were creating. It was just this huge... Oh, wow. It was just <laughs> this... bold statement. It was just this huge spectacle. It wasn't even just a performance. Like, it was my favorite show, hands down, that I've ever seen. And, and Damien pulled it off. This is a man who does most of the mixing on his own. He works with these artists and puts the albums together himself. And they pulled it off. It was... Mind blowing. Well, you've single-handedly changed my mind about the matter. If that's the case, honestly, I, I'm very impressed because th- that is a, that's a new style of of concert. That, it's a new concert approach, basically. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, yeah. and I've a, seen a lot of concerts, yeah. and it was just incredible. That's the thing. A lot of people go to concerts, you know, expecting to hear what they hear on the album, and there's there's always the argument that goes around. Well, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to hear something different. You're supposed to hear something that is is sort of makeshift, something off the cuff. Uh, but it probably will be stripped down to a certain extent. The vast majority of bands do that. I would say most people have the experience where they prefer uh, the studio to the live. But in that case, if they go all out, that, sh- that says a lot for um, you know just the, the, the drive, the ambition of the band. I mean, they've always been a very ambitious band and a project. But I just think that, that it's, it's nice to have something different. And Gorillaz, hands down, are one of those bands that it's all about the production and the mixing and less about the, the, the mu- you know, the music's important, but it finds its fine-tuning in the production Exactly. That, without electricity, they wouldn't exist. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, their last record, which was mostly instrumental, was completely produced on Damon's iPad. And it wasn't their strongest album, but it was interesting. It was different. And right. I really liked that. Um... See that that is pure art to me. I, yeah. I love I love uh, bands that make use of, of new mediums, new outlets that are available today, and try to spin them as their own. Well, that's going to be the future of recording, especially for like hip hop and more stripped down sounds. It's going to be iPads. You're just going to sit with an iPad and speak into the mic. I mean, if that's the case, then if Gorillaz continued with that uh, with that pattern, I think they're really going to be the wave of the future. Yeah, I mean, and that that's what I love about the Gorillaz also is that they were Damien's side project. And they became this bigger than life project because of their popularity and how well they were made. Yeah. Well, that about wraps that up. <laughs> yeah, I, think... I was afraid no one would have any answers to that question, and you proved me wrong. But this has been a gorillas uh, talk. Basically. Well, I definitely still want to do. I think they're one of those bands that definitely needs a podcast, also for different reasons than say the Beatles or Queen, because they're just from from their vid- music videos to their production to their to their music. It's all very interesting and different. And well, I, even the Beatles are a good example because, after all, they're they were they were great songwriters, certainly. But uh, production, I mean, George, that that they that stuff could not have existed 
they could not have done what they did. They probably wouldn't have had the most lasting influence if they didn't have those production values. Yeah, well, I've always said that there are several songs that the Beatles wrote and made that are responsible for whole genres, at least starting them. I mean, you definitely hear it in certain songs. Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, or Helter Skelter. Eleanor Rigby was one of the first songs that introduced the idea of string instruments in a rock rock uh, sound. Yes, true. In many ways, Eleanor Rigby could be the forefront to the Flobots <laughs> in a very, very... You know, great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> they, they, the people like the Beatles uh, created. Well, no, the Beatles added orchestra work to music. Yeah, and it was uh, it invented something different. Um. Yeah. No, I definitely agree, and that's like why I brought up Helter Skelter. I feel like Helter Skelter is definitely a forefront for for punk and that kind of punk sound. And even the birth of like the more emo, new, closer to emo punk sound definitely comes from that frantic song. Um, but, well, I mean, we came up with something that I didn't even think we were going to connect to with the Gorillaz thing. And it's actually inspired me to want to write more or, or come up with more to talk about because I think that's definitely a future podcast as well. But, but we definitely found examples of both sides of it. So clearly production is very important for both, both respects. It's not just about the music. It's about what you can do with it as well. Basically, unless you're a troubadour and plan to make your living from hopping from town to town, you're going to have to have pretty good production uh, in modern society. I don't think you could really survive without it. But I do know a troubadour, so, you know, I, I think he could maybe make it, which contradicts <laughs> today's our, uh, discussion. <laughs> I think completely, actually. And on that bombshell, um, <laughs> as always, music is life and life is good. <laughs>